millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by Solent Tuition Network, finding maths tutors for you. Today's episode is called Grazi Ragazzi Forza Ferrari. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Oh, it's going great. There's always that moment where I have to think to myself, did I mute or did I not mute? Do you know what? You are technically excellent, Matt. No one doubts you. But what we did doubt was whether this race would give us anything to talk about at all. After all, the championship is decided. It's an end of season dead rubber. However, for me, that was 70 odd laps of F1 magic. I enjoyed watching every moment. Yeah, it was a good race. And um, it was a great race if you were a Ferrari fan. And it's what they needed. They needed a win. They got a win. But they got it without Lewis at the front. And that's like the little asterisk they're going to take with them to the last race of the season, I think. I don't know. As soon as it became clear that the driver I didn't like was going to win the race, I started tweeting that F1 was broken and needs fixing and it's boring and terrible and I hate everything. Well, that's a very mature attitude, I have to say. I'm growing. We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. We are joined by Autosport and our Formula Spy journalist, Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great. How are you? I'm really, really well. For the first time on your webcam, we can actually see the facial hair you often allude to. Well, I do not understand how this is the first time. I mean, it's been there for a while now, uh, and you should all uh, acknowledge it and accept it because it's staying. It's the worst thing since Ryan's lighting to be on this podcast. Also joining us for the second time from North Carolina is Nick Alexander. How's it going, Nick? Very well. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited. 
Oh, nice mug, by the way. You've got a missed Apex yeah. mug there. Someone in the Facebook group was asking if we had some uh, missed Apex podcast merchandise. We are getting, I think, to a kind of size now where it was worth it. We tried it early on, and there was very little uptake. I think it's just you, me, and you, me, Nick, and a couple of the Slackroom patrons. We'll give it another go. Hello to everyone in the chat room. If you want to join people on the live stream, go to YouTube and find Missed Apex Podcast. Click subscribe and the little bell, and you'll get a notification every time we go live. Well, I'm glad, Chris, that we're not doing this in real life, so we can look at the track quite safely. We don't have to run the gauntlet of Sao Paulo. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's nice, uh, you know, doing things from the the comfort of your own home sometimes. Yeah, and there's there was a very real threat to the journalists and the team members with a lot of the Mercedes team being held up, and the reaction though is almost one of surprise. That is what I think surprised me the most. I think if you go into a country with that many problems, the organisation has to take a lot of responsibility for what's happening there. We can't we can't blame the situation. The situation is as it is. Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Formula One is uh, a, a target uh, and therefore Formula One has, has really got to, to do something uh, about it. There was a a reaction um, to it, but I definitely think more steps can be taken. I think the the circuit needs to hold some responsibility as well. After all, it is responsible for the for the safety of its occupants, although they will say that once they're out of the track, it's not really their problem anymore. But I don't really know how much I can specify on this issue because i'm not there you know i'm I'm sat in my own home but i can definitely relate to it i've definitely had you know experiences doing formerly races where i've not felt entirely safe but is there a, a spirit in the paddock or in this sort of roving gang of journalists is there kind of like the you know the show must go on kind of attitude is it like a wartime attitude or do people kind of just go look it's not worth it It's it's just a race I think there's a bit of a, a split. You know, I think some people accept it as a part of life. Other people want uh, something done about it. And uh, I think, you know, both arguments are pretty fair, to be honest. Matt, something we've wanted done, a thing we've wanted stuff done about for a long time is track limits. And we're not going to dwell on track limits just to say that haven't they just got it right here? What we've been talking about all season is having a little strip of non-traction area like fake grass or grass followed by then reams of tarmac for them to recover. If they can do it here, why can't they do it everywhere? That would be one of the questions that I would dearly love to ask anyone in charge of these sorts of things. I don't know. I don't know why they can't do it. It's obvious it works very well, and they should consider carrying it over as uh, Liberty consolidates its control of the whole sport. Chris, surely, come on, you and me argue about this all the time. Don't tell me I've got it right for once. No, I I genuinely think you do. You know, there's (laughs) no reason why... Every track in the world can't implicate uh, what what they've done here um, to, to to suit uh, the cars that, that that race on it. Uh, I think Brazil gets it absolutely right. When did we talk about track limits? Not once. Why? Because they do it right, and it's time for the other circuits to take note. Think about Hamilton hitting the barrier and qualifying and having to start from pit lane and becoming driver of the day the next day and storming through the field. I mean. Had there just been miles and miles of runoff, we would have been completely robbed of that. But there is enough tarmac, at least, to allow the cars to get some traction. Because the the best way to make a car controllable 
is to have tarmac. If the best way to make a car controllable was to have gravel or grass, you'd have it on the racing line. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of having concrete to help the car stop, but making it so that you are penalised the second you get off the track, it seems uh, like a no-brainer. Uh, Matt, though, um, McLaren have vetoed the decision to keep the shark fin for next year. Well, to make it bigger. The agreement was they were going to make it bigger and get rid of the T-wing. And so the teams, and, and, and I think we talked about it with Summers, either in one of the Trumpets time or one of the Tech times earlier. And so the teams have been hard at work optimizing that and their design as the engine covers are almost due in their development cycle for 2018. And it was to be formally endorsed at the strategy group meeting on Tuesday. And then McLaren rocked up and said, eh, you know, we've had second thoughts because first of all, we don't like that it covers up the rear wing from certain angles. And second of all, uh, we kind of think our car might go better with a smaller one. So uh, tough luck. So basically, they've found some little area where they can get an aerodynamic advantage and they've gone, hang on a minute, we've got a veto. And in this current uh, method of power, they are part of the strategy group and, and presumably they can just make decisions based on what suits them. Uh, yeah, uh, for the rules changes, and uh, the shark fin would have fallen into that because they changed the size of it. Uh, past a certain point, you have to have unanimous agreement uh, from the teams for anything to change. And without it, it's not going to change. But this is exactly why the team should not be having this amount of control in the regulations. Because here we have, you know, nine out of ten teams are, are happy. Uh, but you've got one that just happens to be particularly powerful that that doesn't want it, which is wrong. And also, I, in my personal opinion, I would like to see the shark fins uh, staying. So may- maybe I'm a slightly biased in that as well. But I do feel the teams have got too much control in this situation. Well, you've really got, I think, two issues. And, and one of them is the teams will have already been spending money developing based on this idea of the larger shark fin. And mm-hmm. I think, as Force India was quick to point out, that space has already been sold to sponsors and it's going to be an issue for them if it's not there. So it's it's a double whammy for some of the teams. See, McLaren don't care about that because they, they barely have any sponsors <laughs> on the car. Oh, God. There you go. I set them up. You knock them down. I uh, I actually like the shark fin. Aesthetically, I've got no issue with it. It's not ugly. And if you could utilize that space, oh, we'd prefer to have just a, a picture of the driver's face on the outside so we can easily identify who it is. Or I actually have to just get around to memorizing all the driver numbers so that I can see it from a distance. Uh, Matt, Renault, bit of fisticuffs. It got emotional. It was proper scenes at Sao Paulo yeah. in the paddock. It was like it was like the start. It was like the press conference for an MMA fight or something between Franz Toast and uh, Cyril Abitabol. They were going at it. Uh, Renault basically said, well, you know, the problem isn't so much our engines, which are, of course, perfect because we're French. The problem would be Toro Rosso because they're Italian and simply don't know how to do things properly. Uh, to which uh, Toro Rosso, for some reason, took some vague exception. I don't know why. And released a scathing retort which wound up with uh, Helmut Marco having to get involved and say, look, 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 we've been friends for a long time, and it's just everybody getting a little punchy at the end of the season. They're good partners. It's all going to be okay. But as we saw in the race, it's not really all going to be okay, is it? The reason that Cyril got so uh, upset about what Torosa said was that France implied um, that, that Renault uh, were 
doing things that were sort of slightly sleight of hand because they're battling Toro Rosso in the Constructors' um, Championship. So are you suggesting that the embedded technicians from Renault might be altering the engines and how they perform during the race to advantage Renault in the World Constructors' Championship, which they now trail Toro Rosso by simply four points? Is that what you're saying? Could that they, be something that happened? Have we heard anything like this any time in the recent past? I don't no, know. They have the means and the incentive, but that doesn't mean that they're doing it. I mean, what kind of team would change the engine mode uh, to get their competitors uh, beaten to the podium, Matt? Of course, we're referring to the story we broke with Matthew Carter last week, uh, where Matthew Carter came on here and he told us a spectacular story of Mercedes realizing that Vettel was on for a podium and that Grosjean could catch them and releasing an extra engine mode for Roman Grosjean to dial in to his steering wheel, which gave him enough of a boost to put Vettel under pressure, forced them into probably a risky one-stop strategy, and he ended up blowing a tire. Now, we dropped that story uh, here with Matthew Carter. Our jaws dropped to the floor, and then it, it sort of took off a little bit, didn't it, Matt? I think just about every corner of F1 media either picked up on it or mentioned something about the story from our little shed. Yeah, they, they, they would have almost been mentioning our name, kind of, except for apparently that's not done at the highest levels. You simply take what you like and do as you wish. Now, Chris is the most media savvy among us. Now, Chris, I was saying to you, obviously our story got picked up by, say, F1 Fanatic, uh, the Spanish equivalents, Polish sites, where they pretty much just transcribed what was said. And they did put a link. They've done all credits. There's no issue there. But it was quite surprising to me that, you know, these sites can just write down all the content, leaving no reason to click through. And it kind of runs away from you. You go, oh, hang on a minute. That was our that was our little thing. Yeah, I mean, I've had it happen to me in the past. And the trouble with, you know, the the online world that we all live in these days is that once it's out there, it's 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 out there for just anyone to kind of nab and 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 you know not even leave the the credit but also just kind of claim it as uh their own although i feel like that uh you know in comparison to say photographers oh yes we yeah. we get off the yeah, pretty lightly i'd say and, and and I'm not raising any issue with them. I mean, there was a Polish site and a Spanish site where we had to write to them and say, hey, give us a link, give us credit. The UK sites generally said, no, this was, you know, a conversation with Missed Apex podcast, which was fantastic for us. It was lovely. And Sky Sports, Matt, they nearly mentioned us live on air, nearly. Yeah, they nearly almost kind of, but we're never going to mention us on air. <laughs> but um, so it was, it was quite funny, but I think they did. They didn't miss the point. And uh, Crofty. If I, if I may call him Crofty, if I may be so familiar, did say that he had listened to the content. Um, so I feel like they did kind of miss the point a little bit where they were saying that, you know, hey, it's not really a story. We know that the engine modes are different for customer teams. Um, but that kind of misses the point that the implication of Matthew Carter's interview is that Mercedes, the team from Brackley, saw an opportunity for Grosjean to pass a vulnerable Vettel and they, they went for it hard to take points off Ferrari. It wasn't for lotus's benefit it was for their own map yeah it was and in fact we heard an echo of this um in talking uh, in and i believe it was ted's notebook talking about uh andy cowell about mercedes going to andy cowell and saying can we give lewis anything extra at the end of the race to get by raikkonen and that would again be these embedded technicians that are in control of what modes 
can be unlocked on the engines. Yeah, and certainly Ted had his say and Paul DeResta had his say. And I would love the opportunity to talk to those guys because they all contradicted each other, even though it seemed like they were agreeing. And I doubt they're going to listen again. And I doubt I'll get the chance to be in a room with them. But Paul DeResta came right out and said it was wrong and that Mercedes have always been very good at sharing all their engine modes with their customers. He said absolutely that the customer teams get the same engine modes as the Mercedes works team. Now, to me, Matt, that seems just objectively wrong. Well, it's very disingenuous, but let's remind ourselves who Paul DeResto works for. Do you know and who that made that? Be- yeah, my wife made that point to me. I was like, ah, oh, I've been schooled yeah. by my wife. Yeah, she yeah. Said, isn't he a DTM Mercedes representative? And yeah, he absolutely is. So yeah, that's fair. But then, I mean, immediately, Ted Kravitz came on and said, well, we had a story where someone plugged a, a laptop into an engine in uh, in a lab and they saw the additional modes. So it kind of contradicted themselves within that team. I, I would love to get kind of a straight story of, of what they actually think. Yeah, well, I believe contractually they're required to provide parity in the engine. So the engines will come with all of these different modes and things, essentially, and they get loaded onto the ECU. Yeah. At, 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 at every race. So technically, they have them. They're on the engine. Whether or not the teams are permitted to use them is an entirely separate issue. And where the sporting concern, I would say, really comes in is if Mercedes, the Formula One team, can contact Mercedes HPP and say, why don't you give them something extra to keep someone off the podium? And I'm using Mercedes as an example here. Any manufacturer could technically do this. And this was the implication, going back to the Renault thing, that the Renault technicians were purposefully denying modes to Toro Rosso or purposely giving them modes they shouldn't be in to make the race closer than it would otherwise be. Which for us now in context, having spoken to Carter, seems entirely in line with, you know, F1 supplier practice. Right. So the the chat room is suggesting that all the engine modes are given to all the customer teams, but maybe the customers aren't told how to access them, not just not being allowed to access them. And I've read interesting comments online suggesting that perhaps a few pages in the owner's manual are missing when you purchase a customer engine. Yes, very interesting indeed. And then also I will add that Crofty kind of played it down a little bit, which I thought was mean of the big boys. Give us credit for our for our scoop, Dave, David, um, because, you know, he's kind of saying, well, we broke this in 2015 at the time. You didn't. I mean, there's a difference between implying that a thing might happen, implying that there's a general practice, and then having a nailed down example of where that happened. So I'm not going to die in a ditch over it. I'm just saying maybe we could, you know, get the credit where credit's due. Let's move on to qualifying. Bit of a ham-fisted crash in Q1, Matt. What happened there? He doesn't tend to do that. Cold tires in a hurry? I don't know. We went through a lot of possible things that might have contributed to it. But as they say, at the end of the day, it might just well have been the nut behind the wheel that caused the trouble. Always the weak link, isn't it? That wobbly bit of flesh between the steering wheel and the seat. Uh, But, you know, yes, we do praise Hamilton for his skill. And Bradley Philpott, a racing driver, comes on here and he says, generally, if that car is not working, it's something to do with the car. Lewis Hamilton is generally driving that car as well as it can be driven. And that might be correct over race pace or over a qualifying session. 
But in a moment, in a corner, Chris, you know, anyone can make a mistake and drop it. And especially in a place like that, where we saw a lot of drivers losing it, I think it's perfectly reasonable to think he just, he just dropped it. He switched off for a minute. Yeah. I mean, there are things that you can kind of forgive him for being caught out by. I mean, the very low track temperature uh, compared to uh, what we saw on Friday, which was much, much uh, warmer. So maybe he didn't quite have his tires up to, temperature or something but i mean he held his hands up uh, to uh to to his mistake uh it just happened to be a, a very costly one you know he doesn't make mistakes uh, very often uh, lewis especially in qualifying this is why we talk about lewis hamilton as one of if not the greatest formula one qualifier in history and uh yeah th- this time it, it cost him big time I, I genuinely trying to remember the last time that that lewis uh, dropped it in, in qualifying like uh like that yeah, it was a genuine drop. Um, I think, Matt, what else stuck out in qualifying? Well, I mean, you know, if you're talking about the front of the race, it had to be uh, Botas coming through with pole position was pretty big. And especially because Vettel really did look to have it locked up. And he himself sort of admitted he just, quote, chickened out on the brakes into turn one. But that's also interesting because it, it shows you the nature of how much Brazil is a momentum track with the, with the altitude change. If you start off the lap slow, it's almost impossible to catch up. So let's go to Nick Alexander here. Now, Nick, you're actually a bit of a Ferrari and a Sebastian Vettel fan, aren't you? I am, yes. Sebastian Vettel fan. So for your boy to not improve in Q3 and blow a golden opportunity, really, to get on pole with, uh, you know, the champion out... That must have been fairly gut-wrenching. Tell me, how terrible did that feel? Did you cry? No, it didn't feel particularly terrible. In fact, starting in second in Brazil doesn't really seem to be a bad place to start in second place. I mean, as evidenced by the fact that he got by in turn one, but turn one would always have many opportunity, many opportunities to overtake throughout the race. Great circuit to do that at. Wonderful wow. circuit overall. Wow. See, kids, you can resolve cognitive bias very easily after a poor qualifying session. But Chris, for the people who've been criticizing Bottas... It's Bottas. <laughs> it, is, it is pronounced Bottas, isn't it? It's good to have an American confirm that, Matt. Uh, but Chris, for Bottas uh, to... I reject your reality and substitute my own. That's a quote, by the way. For Bottas, Chris, to get into Q3, into the second run and improve where others around him didn't is a genuine victory for the lad, which he desperately needed. Yeah, it was definitely a, a very strong lap, and the Mercedes package was working very uh, well. And um, certainly, you know, the, the, the margins we're talking about on such a short track, they're, they're very fine. Uh, and so you really have to kind of make every corner uh, count. Uh, I definitely said that was good. Uh, it was definitely a good good pole position for Valtteri. should be very proud of that. And frankly, I, 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 I'm not going to say disappointed, but I maybe expected a little bit more from him in the race. Oh yeah, we'll definitely get to that. But you know, let's, let's give him the victory that he did get. He got the job done uh, when the people around him didn't. You can't just say he had the fastest car because going into that second run, he didn't have the fastest time. No one else improved than he did. So well done him. Even if he was only rising above his own mediocrity in run one, which could have been the case, I'm not sure. Uh, Matt Alonso, P6. Uh, when they don't have uh, maxing and clipping out at the end of long straights, they can get it done. Yeah, and I, I know that we have discussed this earlier, but a lot of the issues with the MGUH and with the energy in general 
comes down to the algorithm and how the energy gets supplied. And you could even look at sector time sometimes and see where teams were wanting to give more energy, where they felt like it gave them the most benefit in the lap. And for McLaren, and specifically the Honda engine, that's their biggest problem and has been. I mean, for example, when Alonzo's engine cut out at Spa, you know, and they seem to be getting on top of it. And even though they're losing straight line speed because the car is so draggy, they're clearly making progress. And their cars, when they're not being crashed into, are tending to finish the race now. And that's in contrast to Renault, I would say. There's a comment from from Stoffel uh, saying that, that, that now really their problem is deployment in the race rather than in qualifying. So it seems like uh, they can they can get everything sorted out for a one lap shootout it's when they need to consistently rely on it that they tend to start running into problems okay which brings us very close to the race and lewis hamilton and team decided to start from the pit lane with all new things they had a brand new shiny engine and they really did set out to show people what the uh, paddock has in store when they try and chase down mercedes in 2018. So a sluggish start for both the front row participants. Uh, Vettel said he had a slow start. Uh, There was wheel spin for him and also for Bottas. Ultimately, Vettel got ahead into turn one. But Matt, before we uh, go into where the race was won and lost, I think we have a fantastic little melee of whose fault is this is to discuss, do we not? Yes, yes, indeed we do. All right, where where should we start then? So uh, turn two, I guess, at the bottom of the hill, we had a coming together between Ricciardo and Stoffel van Dorn and Magnussen. Let's see where people put the blame. Chris, where do you put the blame for all of that? Don't say turn one, it's a racing incident. We don't have racing incidents here, we just don't. No, I mean, I uh, agree so far with the, the idea that we haven't seen a penalty uh, so far, but uh, it, it was, you know, if anyone is to blame for the incident, if anyone were to get a penalty for said incident, it would be Kevin Magnussen uh, because the the other two were very much uh, the, the the victims of of his manoeuvre into turn two. He just clipped, um, you know, Van Dorn on the exit, and he then ricocheted into uh, Ricardo. You know, Van Dorn was the one being uh, pincered there in the middle. So, if anybody, Magnussen. Yeah, because actually. Yeah, go on. Well, I've actually checked the Ferrari Twitter and it was Max's fault. Confirmed. Absolutely confirmed. But Nick, we see it quite a lot where a guy is moving out to the natural exit point of the corner and he ends up just running a guy out of room. Now, Van Dorn, to me, looked like he was just doing everything he could to stay on the track and gave Magnussen all the room he could possibly could possibly have given him without leaving the track. Right. That's probably true. Good. Thanks for that. Uh, but, but Chris. <laughs> Chris. I, I will say this about you know Ricardo though because he did uh, take a risk uh, at, at turn two. You know if you're putting yourself on the outside, especially as wide as as, as he did, he was all, he, he put himself in a danger zone. Um, so you know that's not to say that his his fault at all. Um, but you know he took a risk and it, it most definitely did not pay uh, pay off on this occasion. Yeah, and it's um, unfortunate then for Verstappen that he took the amount of damage that actually stopped him and, and made him grind to a halt. Because whenever you have these kind of accidents, Matt, they, they kind of they look innocuous sometimes, and they take a shunt and they spin. Yet that car's going, and and that one isn't, and we never quite figure out why. No, and did you say Verstappen or Van Dorn? 
Oh, I think the joke was that Ferrari liked to blame Max for anything. Yes, well, and who and why not? He's young and therefore a convenient target, especially when behind the wheel of a car. I can go. I can as 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 an old dude, I can get along with this general line of reasoning. So old, yeah, very, very fossilicious. I am. Um, I don't know though. I I I like that that Chris is trying to blame Magnuson, but my memory of the incident was that Magnuson himself was trying to avoid someone, and I think Van Dorn was being pinched by Ricardo on the outside. So if I'm going to blame anybody, I'm going to blame Ricardo. Oh, Sparkles doesn't like that. Okay, well, when Ricardo pretty much was, you know, three wheels off the track uh, at that point, there's not really a lot more he can do. And, you know, he, he notices that, you know, you get this concertina effect pretty much at turn two. It is, you know, very tempting to just sail around the outside of them. I'm really struggling to see how you could blame Ricardo for that. Well, I don't know. He was being ambitious, though, Mark. I've, I'm, I've got sympathy for your point of view, which is that, you know, it's lap one and we've all played the Formula One games where you figure, I'll just play really, really late. And if I hit somebody, I can just pause it and click X to make it go back 15 seconds or whatever. I give myself the maximum amount of them. Um, but yeah, so obviously you can get greedy in the start. And I think Ricciardo probably did get a bit greedy at the start. Not that I'm blaming him for trying to do that. No, of course, you wouldn't dare blame Ricciardo. But really, actually, I, I would love to know who was next to Magnuson because that's who I'd really like to blame. But I didn't, I didn't catch the name of the driver, so I'm stuck, as it were. I don't think he was being forced into that position, if that's what you're saying, because I had a little look as well. And it, it was reasonably clear to his right, if my memory is serving me co- correctly. I think a little more clear cut, though, is in the same turn where Lewis Hamilton went off in qualifying, we had Esteban Ocon on the outside of Roman Grosjean. Chris, that's that's pretty clear cut, isn't it? Grosjean, he just he just messed that up and he careered no. into Ocon. What no. a bugger. No, 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 no. I am dying I to t- hear how you are gonna put blame on Esteban Ocon for no. being simply driven into. I'm not I'm not going to blame Esteban Ocon. What I'm going to do is exonerate Roman Grosjean, who had a puncture from the turn one calamity, which is why he spun his car into Esteban Ocon. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nick, talk some sense into this young man. He he does baffle me at times. I, I'm going to demand more evidence. So I did see that Esteban Ocon tweeted that his single-seater non-retirement streak going back to 2014 had been ruined. And then... Uh, because Grosjean drove into him and then Grosjean tweeted, I'm very sorry I had a puncture, but are you just believing Grosjean and his word there? Did you actually see the puncture? Because I did not. Uh, there was a there was a comment on the radio as well that he had been punted at turn one as well, which is pretty clear. And actually, can I just uh, mention on that, that, that wind, that, not wind streak, the uh, finishing streak, that single seater career uh, street that goes back to august 2014 with his formula three days with prima uh which which was a race three at nurburgring that's how far back it goes for the last time he retired from a single seater race back in the day when yeah. you would have had to go to bed before the time that this live stream goes out it's only four years ago i'm not that young You're like 10 or something daniel drury in the chat room with the tropic thunder reference you never go full grosjean 
you never go full Grosjean. And he wasn't full Grosjean this weekend. There's normally a lot more whinging. But sh- still, if you're on the inside and you lose control of your car for whatever reason, even if it's because there's a mechanical fault on your car that you've been driving around with for seven laps, uh, sorry, for seven corners, that is still your responsibility. Ocon's done nothing there. Talking to you, Sparkles. Oh, Matt had his hand up, so I assumed you were talking to him. Well, we can let the old man have his say. Go on. What what Ocon love do you want to pour onto this podcast now? Yeah, well, since since we never got around to it. Yeah, no, uh, of the two of them, Grosjean has to be at fault here, mostly because it was his total loss of control that led to the accident that ruined one of the most impressive records we've ever seen in single-seaters. Not that I favor Ocon at all for any reason whatsoever, even a bit. Tell you what, Matt. Why don't you tell us where the race was won or lost then while you lick your wounds at your precious Ocon having crashed out of the race? There's no like bumper music. You just have to start saying it. Where was the race won or lost? Oh, yeah. Well, that Um, would be pretty much turn one, wouldn't it? Well, we've done this a lot, Matt. You seem very surprised. No, I'm not surprised. I keep on waiting for the bumper that's not there. Let's do one. Let's do one. Now it's time for Matt Trumpets to tell us where the race was won and lost. Let's hear it. Play some sweet analysis on us there, Trumpets. Let's hear it. Happy now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always love listening to myself play trumpet. Um, No, turn one. Very simple. Turn one and specifically the start. Uh, They both had wheel spin. Vettel had less. Done because the second position on the grid set you up for the inside of turn one. And by the time Valtteri recovered, it was too late. Vettel was ahead, and he stayed ahead. And as far as the race was concerned, the only chance, the only chance he would have had to have gotten by him would have been the undercut. And that happened around lap 28 that Mercedes pulled that particular trigger. And it was very exciting at that point because it looked for all the world like it might succeed. And everybody, everybody dove for the pits. Vettel responded a lap later, and out he came. Out he came, barely a half second ahead of Botas, who had had a whole lap to warm up his tires. Yes, I said it correctly. Thank you. Uh, who had a whole lap to warm up his tires. And you're thinking, Vettel is a sitting duck. The Mercedes is just going to eat him alive in the third sector, and he's going to pass him into turn one. And once he's ahead, it's going to be very difficult for Vettel to get past. But this thing did not happen. So there's a couple points there for Chris. I mean, you address them in the order you wish to. But the first is that Bottas had the pace to hang on to him. So he had the pace to attack on a track where people were passing equally powered cars. Um, and you feel that Mercedes had the pace overall. Secondly, Ferrari in a one-stop race surely would have been anticipating the one-stop, uh, sorry, the undercut at some point. So to give that advantage to uh, two Mercedes, two Bottas, seemed like a, a big miss. Yeah, I think Ferrari um, dropped the ball a little bit on on that one by letting Mercedes um, play their hand for them. But um, I, I don't think Bottas in the race necessarily had the pace to keep up with um, Seb because if you needed any more evidence that Seb was pretty much cruising at the front, it was that lap when he came out of the pits. As Matt said, he was right on his tail. We were fully expecting Bottas to breeze by him. But by the time they even got up to Zhongshao, effectively the final corner, he was out of DRS range. Was that you attempting to pronounce that corner's name correctly? Uh, slightly. Okay, very well then. I will forgive you. Uh, my answer to that would be 
I would say at that moment in the race, he did not have the pace. But what was interesting to me, and I don't know if you noticed this too, is that later in the race when Mercedes said, um, <clears throat> uh, Valtteri, like, you know, maybe you want to get it on a little bit there. You're not going to run out of tires by the end of the race. Yeah, you're going to have some left. Use them. He, he was able to lift his pace and match Vettel, and Vettel was very much turning it up some to stay ahead of Lewis because Lewis was about a second a lap faster. And had there been no traffic, he would have been able, at, at their relative pace, to have caught Vettel before the end of the race. Of course, having to pass cars made it all an imaginary exercise, although an entertaining one. So I don't know if he was just having a hard time getting the tires up to temperature or or, or what it was exactly. But there was there was a chunk of that stint at the beginning where he was just he was really just sort of hanging on and breaking and even got, I think, into DRS on him at one point, if I'm not mistaken. I would suspect it's a balanced thing because the soft tire is a high working range tire. So really, the track conditions we saw today should have been prime you know, soft tire conditions. So I really can't foresee the idea that anybody was struggling to switch the tire on. It should have been working very well. So I would suggest that's more of a, a balance, a setup issue, perhaps. Uh, the chat room are discussing their love for Trumpet's music in the bumper and are wondering about his new album. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt, that is a very opportune time to start talking about, you know, your Indiegogo campaign, perhaps. Oh, I thought you were never going to ask me to talk about this. As it's if been you'd have very... let me get away with not asking. <laughs> I am going to be so annoying until I either realize the whole thing is hopeless or get the album made. Okay, Sorry, well, first of all, tell me what an Indiegogo campaign is. Is it like Kickstarter where people pledge an amount of money for you to go ahead and do a project? And if it doesn't happen, everyone just gets their money back. It's almost like that, except where you don't get your money back. And... I get to keep it and I will do what I can with whatever I'm able to raise. So that would be the that would be the difference. But in essence, it's the same thing. You say we want a thing. We will give you money to make the thing. And then I go and make the thing. So where we are is we've had some good donations. People have stepped up to the plate and I would like to thank them personally for that. But we do need more money to make a proper album. Now, if it keeps on going at the current rate, we'll be able to do an album. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One with the trio and probably get a singer in there. But what I'd like to be able to do is hire some of my friends who are also stupendous musicians and, and get them on the album too. So that's what the push is for. So what I would ask, if you can give money, please give money. If you want the thing, please, by all means, buy the thing. But even if you don't, just share it with your friends, share it on your social networks, email your friends who like music, just keep the ball rolling because it's starting to pick up a little momentum and I'm very excited about it. Quickly, tell me where to go. I'm an interested listener. Tell me the one place on the internet to go right now. Right, that means I have to scroll down to here and say you can go to https colon double slash igg dot me slash at slash nightscapes slash x and do it right now or just google mad ragsdale and the city line trio should be able to find it pretty easily that way as well felix bolin in the chat room i'm hesitant to call myself trump fossey oh yeah no that could have a that could have a much worse meaning at all no let's call him ragsdale for that kind of stuff okay let's get back onto a bit of formula one chris let's talk about lewis hamilton um trying to get up the field because he was a little audacious on the radio i thought he was going to be asking for the next one or two cars where's the podium positions no he's going where's vettel i'm hunting down vettel i thought that was a little necky but i don't think it was impossible today what did he finish five seconds off the leader Something like that, something very close to a lot closer than what you would have expected. Uh, uh, you know, I think a podium was uh, very much a realistic expectation um, for for him, especially considering, uh, you know, the the pace advantage that the leaders have over the vast majority of the field. You know, certainly he, he made his way into that top five with with relative ease a lot quicker than i was expecting yeah i mean Um, we've seen that mercedes struggle to follow a lot and it's a tight twisty track and he had this kind of method where he was storing up all his energy through the midsection keeping up easily and then blitzing them on the two straights at the beginning of the lap well here's the thing the um the difference from mexico for example you know where he had a damaged car uh he had also lost a lot of time just through the puncture in itself he had a championship to think about then as well, he was playing it very different, uh, differently. Also, in Mexico, it's a lot, lot harder to overtake than it is uh, in Brazil, which is relatively um, easy, actually. So, uh, and and then you take into account the brand spanking new engine that they put into the back of that Mercedes, and you know that's not, you know, you, that's an advantage in itself. But then when you compare how old everyone else's power unit is. Um, as well it's not like you know relatively early in the season they just whack a new unit in and you know that's a bit of an advantage it's a huge advantage and then he gets all the extra power available to him as well because he hasn't got to think about reliability he's only got one more race to do on this engine and so you know (laughs) in some ways you know the crash in qualifying it's stopped him being punished for an engine penalty i know it sounds slightly ridiculous but it's um it was a a big, big advantage. Chris has gone on about this engine topic at some length, but earlier in the chat room, Hannah Hassel summed this up quite simply. All the cars are broken by now, but Hamilton, with his new engine, his car was slightly less broken than most of the others. Yeah, and the the difference was frightening. It, it, he carved through the field very quickly until he got up to Raikkonen. And, and Matt, you have to say the fates were kind of in his own hands. If he'd have got it done against Raikkonen, 
he would have had only his teammate in front of him, who surely wouldn't have fought him all that hard. And he would have had a, a shot, a shot at the win, which is incredible. Yeah, it is incredible, but it's just one of those things. The tires are only going to last so long when you push them that hard. And uh, going into lap 67, I believe it was, on the outside of Raikkonen, who had naturally taken the inside uh, in defense while he was in DRS, he locked up. And from that point on, you could see it. He was beginning to lose time through the middle sector, which is where you need your tires the most. And uh, I remember like with a lap or two to go, you could see around every turn, you could see the rear end just like starting the pendulum because the tires were done. He needed literally about three more laps out of those tires. And the, I don't think Raikkonen could have done anything about it. That said, Raikkonen was driving faster than Vettel to protect himself. So I don't really know what Vettel had in hand. And I, I think the best hope we would have had for a fight at the front would have been Hamilton not crashing and qualifying everything being equal. Nick. Uh, Steve Blackout19 in the chat room points out that most of the Renault power units were also relatively new. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that stings. That's, uh, that's one for McLaren to look into. They must be delighted with how the works team and works engine are communicating and treating their customer teams. They've got to be really, really looking forward to that. I wonder if they you know, sit and have a chat with the Red Bull employees and, and see if they can get a little preview of what their 2018 season is going to be like. Uh, Matt, I was a little bit disappointed that Hamilton didn't play a little bit more of a team game. Having dropped it in qualifying, as somebody who already has won the world championship, with a teammate who is fighting for second place, he was only three seconds up the road from the the Bottas Vettel fight and Bottas was keeping up with Vettel so why could not Mercedes have said Lewis we're going to keep you out a little bit longer which by the way would have had the consequence of him having fresher tyres at the end he probably would have got the same position if he'd have stayed out for another five laps let Vettel and Bottas catch up with him put Vettel in some dirty air let Bottas actually have a go at Vettel get to second place what could be more demoralizing for ferrari than an amazing team effort smashing vettel back into third place in the championship and and hamilton didn't have anything else to fight for as i saw that unfold i was just a little disappointed they didn't go for it i don't know steven do you look like you want to say something go ahead i do i do i mean the the first thing i'll say to that is that nobody cares about second in the championship not true it is true. It's not true. They, people do. They people about care about every point in the championship and every position in the championship. People want their record books to show they finished second, not third. Third, not fourth. Just don't. But I don't buy that. The first, the second place is the first loser. No one really has that attitude. They care about the constructors' points because that's a, a fiscal incentive, but that's wrapped up for them, so it makes no difference. And also, I would say that if they, you know, kept Lewis out longer. In the first stint, they were then at risk of him, you know, going too long on those soft tires and actually losing uh, more time, which then would have, you know, detrimented his podium challenge. At this point, they're still thinking that they can still pretty easily, well, maybe not easily, but they still have a good chance at third in the race. And I, they wouldn't want to compromise that by, uh, you know, allowing. Raikkonen to get any closer while Lewis's tyres are going off. The only thing you said that had any bearing on their decision was the word Raikkonen. Because think about it, my friend. 
if you make Vettel go slower and use up tires trying to get past you, then the moment you hit the pits, it's the same amount of lost time. It's not going to affect Hamilton's gap to Vettel at all, unless Vettel gets by him and puts time into him. I mean, you could say he's giving up four seconds, but that in uh, relative to the pace advantage of the super softs that we saw, clearly that's not going to matter. What did matter was the fact that Raikkonen had struggled in the first stint with his tires, and there was a significant gap to Botas that he had to make up. And that was what Mercedes didn't want cut into. And that was why we didn't see that, um, I don't know, what would you call that kind of a strategy? Um, that entertaining strategy that Spanner's put forth being thought about seriously at all on the Mercedes pit wall, I would say. You know, this is one of the reasons I really wanted the three-car teams, because you could really kind of make this team play and this team interaction pay off. And I, I, I want to see more of that. My whole F1 career, my career, my whole F1 fan career, I've been wanting to see these kind of team dynamics go in. And, and even when people were getting upset in 2002 about Ferrari doing it, I was thinking, no, it's, it's, it's ultimately, it's a team sport. And, and I, I love seeing those kind of connotations coming in. And I just wish we could see more of it. I wish there was no stigma for it. Uh, and I wish, you know, teams would factor that in a lot more. Uh, several people piping in in the chat room. It's quite unanimous that second is better than third and that Botas, Botas, however you say it, in Vettel, they both care. It, it's a higher place. And literally, Botas was being interviewed by the Channel 4 team after qualifying, and he was talking about the connotations of what it would take for him to get to second place. He wanted there to be a Mercedes one too. He wanted people to show that he had done his bit in what many feel is the best car to make it a Mercedes one two package. So I, I just disagree with you, Chris. People care about finishing one place higher. Do you reckon Jensen Button reminisces about that time he finished second in the championship in 2011? Well, I'll tell no. you what, Ham Fossey haters, Hamilton haters, don't stop going on about that season. So at least there was some benefit to that season. It gave people the hope to cling on to. Oh, yes, well, he uh, outscored him over this arbitrary three-season period that we've now decided is important. No, 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 it's not about challenging for titles. It's over the most points over three seasons. <laughs> Trumpets. Well, it has occurred to me that in all this discussion about time and Hamilton that we've not touched on something that if you look at the gap to Kimi might have been a bit of a big deal, although it didn't seem that big a deal at the time. And that would be our friend from Canada, Lance Stroll. Okay, I've formed an opinion on Lance Stroll, but what what do you have to say about him? Well, uh, if you recall, when uh, Lewis was making his charge, he he ran up on Stroll and yes. got stuck behind him. And at the end of it, he specifically radioed in and said that Stroll had cost him not one, but two seconds on that one lap trying to get out of his way. I've made an interesting observation about Stroll. Um, he does not have very descriptive radio communication with his team. When his tire was delaminated today, he said that there was something wrong. And I remember several races ago, he had a tire completely blow out and he said that it was bad. So <laughs> high quality information to engineering. <laughs> Something uh, to work on, perhaps. Yeah, something like a kind of what when you're eight and you have to write a story for school and then you run out of time and you want to go and play with your mates. So you write, and then it was all a dream, something like that. But yeah, I, I've come to my conclusion with Stroll. We've had a good long look at him this season. And I've unfortunately, because he seems like a nice guy, come to the conclusion he's a waste of time. I, I don't like him being in that seat. 
it's actually a tragedy for Massa, who I'm not a fan of, to be beating him by a second and to have been beating him quite comfortably over the season, you know, not aside these races of attrition, which yes, they happen. And the fact that he's got a very non-aggressive and non-controversial style means that Stroll has been able to capitalise on those. But he's clearly not as good a race driver as Felipe Massa with a big fan base who's huge in the sport of Formula One is now retiring from a seat that he wants. He wants to keep that. And this guy, Stroll, who's not fast, he's not as far, he's not in the class you need to be to be an F1 driver. He gets to stay. Not at Sauber, not with a back driver team, with Williams, with Williams of all teams. Yeah, it's that thing where, you know, um, they're talking about one of the things about Formula One drivers that really set them apart is just how unbelievably consistent they can be. And as this guy commentary unfolded, they were making the point that Stroll was being very consistent in making the same mistake over and <laughs> over again at the same place in Mexico. And that's just like at the end of a full season with all the extra help, it just, look, he might be a good driver, but it's obvious he's not ready for what he's got. I, I, and I, and I, and I, you really want to give him a chance. Cause like you say, he seems like a nice guy, but, It just doesn't seem like he's quite there yet. He's not fully formed. Let me take 30 seconds out to talk about our friends, Solent Tuition, named after the stretch of water between England and the Isle of Wight. And when I say friends, I mean it. This is a friend of me and Matt Trumpets who offers maths tuition with his company over Skype for your kids if they want help. They specialize in GCSE, but at the moment he's working with my boy, Treeface, who is seven, and we're actually introducing him to a bit of algebra and a bit of rearranging uh, formulas. And not for any purpose, just for a bit of fun. But this is a guy who I trust with my kid's maths brain. So uh, when I say to you that I recommend him, I mean it. I'm not just passing off any old dross. Uh, so if you would like to hire Dan Rourke and his team to tutor you on, over Skype, why not check out www solenttuitionnetwork.com that's solent s-o-l-e-n-t not soylent he, it's not made out of churned up people it's solenttuitionnetwork.com to find your maths tutor now all right let's move on to any other business matt where should we go massa an emotional race and radio fantastic to have his little kid on and i have to say Sometimes it's cheesy to throw your kid into the limelight and do all this stuff. But if you soak in his social media, you can see he's a proper family man. Being a dad to him is like the focal point of his world. And it's just pure joy. There's nothing There's nothing contrived about it. It's a genuine, joyful thing that his kid gets involved in all the stuff he does. Yeah. And, and it was, if you were going to go out, his defense uh, from Alonso, which... Not that we often say this, but you got to give some kudos to the Williams strategy team for being on top of it and getting him in the door before Alonzo could undercut him for the pit stop. And uh, Alonzo really gave it everything he had, as much as the McLaren could muster. And uh, it was it was quite the exciting uh, thing to listen to on, on Five Live uh, on the app to hear them going, oh, oh my goodness, there's this thing that's happened after Vettel won the race, and oh, it's very exciting and looks close. And for Massa to hang on and win that last battle at his home race, yeah, that's kind of a feel-good thing, and and I loved it. Nick, what's the chat room up to? The chat room is suggesting that 
Honda has a secret engine mode for reliability and McLaren can't find it. <laughs> they're withholding it. They're saving it for Toro Rosso. Uh, Nick, where can people find you online, by the way? This is only your second appearance. Our listeners have had not had a chance to fall in love with you yet. Sure. You can find me on the Twitters at Luminosity871. I occasionally tweet about F1, WEC, and my love of Iron Brew. Mm, Iron Brew. I've heard of that, but it's in the Badlands in the north. You should never go there. I'm going there next year. Sparkles, you're uh, finished with your 700 club amateur racing autosport thing. I I don't pay attention. Uh, But what are you up to? Uh, At the moment, there is an interesting development happening with autosport, um, which I'm sure I can delve into more in, in maybe three weeks or so. Now, you've told us half a story, but it involves you and something you're excited about, which, to be honest, it could be motorbikes, knowing your poor taste in things. It's not motorbikes. It is a, a series I'm very passionate about. Awesome. Okay, guys. Uh, oh, yes. I'll put this in here. Uh, Max Verstappen is a very popular guy, so I'm going to be careful with what I say about him. But Max Verstappen is a dirty little liar. He lied on the team radio and it was an obvious lie. And the reason I know it's an obvious lie is because I have a seven-year-old and I understand how these things work. Please, please, I, I need to come in for new tyres. I'm all over the place. I can't do anything. Nick, did you did you spot this obvious lie? I did. Treeface and Max Verstappen are about the same age, I believe. <laughs> it's not far off. <laughs> In fact, um, it, the, the gap to me and Max Verstappen is significantly bigger than the gap from Max Verstappen to my son. So, yes. Oh, wow. So I remember uh, a recent race where Max Verstappen was winning and they were telling him to manage the pace. And then he put in a quick lap <laughs> yes. and they told him that was actually the same time. And he said, I'm sorry. Uh, and it came out after the fact uh, from Christian Horner that there is actually an incentive to Verstappen and Ricciardo a little bonus, financial bonus for putting in the fastest lap and that uh, perhaps they might have to do away with that given strategy. <laughs> yeah, because he was, he was saying, basically, my tyres are all over the place. I, I need to come in. And they're, they're, quite, they're saying, well, to be honest, your pace is fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong. Well, we, we need you to just, just finish where you are. Um, but then he's like, yeah, but there is a gap. You know, there is a gap. I, I could just come in and there'd be no, no difference. So really, why risk it, you know? Can I maybe try and defend young Max? As a fellow young person, although for him, I'm practically ancient. Um, in that first stint, you know, he was trying to keep up big time with that top three. And when you're in a car that's losing half a second just on the run out of Jinshao all the way down to turn one, then that, that has its effect on the tires. So maybe th- there is an element of truth in that somewhere. Steve Blackout 19 in the chat room again for Stapp and Radio. I need to come in for new lap records. I mean, tires, tires. <laughs> uh, fantastic. And I, and I think uh, <laughs> he did end up coming in in the end. Did he get his fastest lap? He did. He, he did. did. He yeah. did on the soft tire. Yeah. Uh, 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 sorry, Matt, go on. No, I was going to say it was a free pit stop for them, but all things being equal, they would rather him just stay out. And he was like, oh, but the tires are so hard to drive. It would be make so much more sense if I was on these easier tires to drive. And eventually they were like, eh, whatever. Okay, fine. Have your M&Ms before dinner. See if I care. Yeah, mom's not listening anyway. 
Indeed. I just I just like to chat about the the radio a little bit more. So I I noticed that Lance Stroll isn't very descriptive, and then uh, in the lap one incident with Grosjean and Ocon, Grosjean gets on the radio and he's like, "Well, oh, I've I've crashed. I don't know what's wrong with the car." Blah, blah, blah. And it's like I, you have there's no useful information being transmitted to engineering whatsoever. Again, but you contrast that with Max Verstappen is able to hold an argument and speak logically it's just it's very interesting how the ability to communicate and multitask is is very different across the field yeah that's because max is still young and it's the equivalent of asking you know a kid to go to bed before the sun's gone down in the summer and he's oh but all the other kids are still you know out and play the the sandersons let them stay out till nine yeah well the sanderson kids are going to end up in jail and we don't want you to. All right. So I've got a quick question for you guys out of curiosity. It occurred to me uh, talking about Stroll uh, being in a top team. And I, and I don't want him to be there. I'll, I'll be honest. I, just, I don't want to cause anyone any offense. I don't think Williams should have a driver like that. If he wants to Pedro Diniz it in a Minardi for a little bit. And then if some genuine talent comes up, he can rise up. Fine. Fair enough. I don't like what's happening it's a bit of a, a mockery for our sport. So if you can get rid of two drivers next season who are going to be in next season, who you don't want there, who would it be? For me, it's pretty clear cut. It's Stroll and it's Ericsson. Nick, who would you get rid of from the F1 grid? Uh, I think Ericsson and Verline. Verline? I don't know if I'm correct, but it seems like Verline has a little bit of an attitude that kind of rubs the wrong way. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm just, I'm just arbitrarily passing judgment and just chopping the axe right now. I feel guilty about this one. Um, I would say both the Haas boys both. Uh, to uh, to then make way for Antonio Giovinazzi and Charles Leclerc as well. But there's, um, I don't know, I, I feel like Roman is uh, losing touch. You know, he's not the up-and-comer that we no. thought he was a few years ago. Um, but he tends to make a lot of mistakes, very complaining on the radio, and I I can't see that he's great to work with. Mm-hmm. And, and Magnussen, a, a very similar situation. You know, we thought he was going to be McLaren's next big thing, and he it just isn't. You know, I think yeah. even towards the end of that season with McLaren, he was not proving himself um and and frankly i'm I'm slightly surprised that he's hung on to formula one for this long yeah i'm over grosjean as well i can tell you that especially i think it's quite grating isn't it uh, the attitude he come he comes along with and the fact that he's not going anywhere anymore uh, you know maybe yeah you get the feeling like he's occupying a bit of space but uh trumpets who would you get rid of well if you're looking at teams and you're looking at drivers and you're looking at talent uh i think yeah stroll that other williams chair should be occupied with somebody who is just faster period and for me for a long time i just uh, erickson has just never really impressed me for a brief hot moment i thought oh maybe there's something there but he just has underperformed everybody for so very 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 long that it's just time to get some new blood at least grosjean can be fast on his day and score points same is true of magnuson I don't see Ericsson ever doing that. Go on then. Before uh, we go to the podium, who does the chat room want, Nick? I'm I'm laughing because the chat room is actually suggesting that Palmer should be kicked out again. <laughs> or perhaps they didn't notice that he was wrong or that he was already gone. Sorry. Um, and they're pointing out Raikkonen. 
uh, which oh, is yeah. a solid yeah. argument. <laughs> it's, it's hard to make the case at the moment. I know there's a lot of Raikkonen fans out there, uh, but who knows? You know, it could just be, you know, Grosjean, uh, sorry, Grosjean, Vettel is doing a very good job on pace this year, and that's what's making Raikkonen look ordinary. So, you know, it's very hard to judge in a, in a two-person team. I, I think we should bring Kvyat back into modem again so that Verstappen can continue to win races as well. It's a sound tactic. I don't know why no one has thought about it before. Uh, before we go to the podium, guys, I would be very honoured and I would appreciate if you would follow me on Twitter at SpannersReady. I'm like 19 people away from 1,000 uh, followers, which by Twitter law makes you, quote, legit. Uh, not superstar, Chris. That isn't what I was going for but Twitter legit. And if we are going to say superstar, I prefer hashtag international icon, if that's okay with you. Where can people find you on Twitter, Chris? Uh, you can find me at cstevens underscore journo on the Twitter sphere. It's only because you didn't say it when we were asking you what you're up to, I don't think. Uh, Trumpets is on at mattpt55 and follow the show at mistapexf1, but not yet. Wait, wait for me to get to a thousand first because they are catching up with me the podcast account and i don't want the monster i created to overtake me you know i do have a, an ego to massage here so you know please you know support my ego thanks let's go to the podium a little bit of a weird contrast where you had mexico where we didn't even speak to anyone on the podium where instead here you spoke to about a thousand people at the end of the Grand Prix. And okay, I'm not going to take away the Brazilians' um, mourning or celebration of their favorite Formula One driver going away. It, it seemed a little out of place, given that the guy who finished in sixth place on the day gets this huge fanfare, whereas often you have a guy who wins the championship and, and isn't interviewed on the podium. They never they never bring up the champion if he didn't finish in the top three. So to me, that seemed a little bit off. I don't know if anyone else has an opinion on that. Apparently not. You could have saved me. You could have just chimed in and said, yes, I agree, or do what Matt normally does and goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then brings up something else he wanted to talk about. Nope, no saves in that case. All that leaves me with is to ask you for what is your thing of the weekend? Matt Trumpets, what's your thing of the weekend? Ooh, engine mode. <laughs> well, us, are you giving Miss Apex's uh, exclusive scoop Sky Sports scoop on the engine mode fiasco of 2015. Are you giving us thing of the week? Well, people were talking about it an awful lot from the beginning of the weekend to the very end of the weekend. So I don't know. It seems pretty topical. Hard to say no. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Well, we, uh, on behalf of Miss Apex podcast, I accept your award trumpets. Uh, Rob Graham there in the, uh, in the chat room is saying Massa deserved his podium time on the gas is saying spanners is more hamfosi today than normal didn't i criticize lewis hamilton for not backing up his teammate didn't i say he binned it in the wall in qualifying and ruined his own weekend uh, I, i'm not sure i'm not sure how how less hamfosi i could be to be fair i think you were more harsh off air than on but i will testify to your lack of hamfosiness this weekend i have seen it up close and personal <laughs> well no to be fair when you support a driver or a team certainly in football you are far more critical of the people you are supporting and cheering on than the people you're not and you feel a, li a lot more let down when your team or person doesn't perform how you want them to um so anyway anyway rant over is it yeah it is yeah check yourself spanners before you wreck yourself sparkles who is your thing of the weekend I'm genuinely struggling for this one because I feel like there are a lot of underperformers this weekend. 
But one person who did most definitely perform very well was Felipe Massa. So he's going to be my thing of the week. He did, and he did perform, and he held off uh, Alonso. Uh, there was probably a little bit of a mismatch just because of the way uh, the power worked out so that Alonso was faster in the areas where it was harder to overtake. And then that Williams gave him a bit of an advantage up the hill, Chris. I, I don't want to kind of take that away from him, but that is a but, mitigating factor. No, you're absolutely right. All Felipe has to do is just keep his foot to the floor on the straight and Alonso can only match his speed even with the DRS and the slipstream and everything the Honda has to give. So, but then again, you know, having Fernando Alonso in your mirrors for 71 laps, not something I want to be doing on a casual Sunday. And as well for recognizing the fact, I'm I'm sure the podium thing wasn't really his, his idea, even though I found it a bit much, but given the fact that he had that huge emotional send off, I think he actually played it okay, which he still wanted to enjoy the moment. I think he still appreciated that, you know, it had kind of been done last year. Nick, who's your thing of the weekend? Uh, My thing of the weekend, I quite enjoyed watching Max defend Hamilton into turn one. That was pretty impressive for me. Uh, And the chat room is saying the thing of the weekend is the Renault Toro Rosso engine sabotage conspiracy. And also, of course, Hamilton bending it into the wall. (laughs) That's that. That could have been the missed apex award, to be fair. Well, it depends on your bias, I guess. For some people, that was a positive. (laughs) And by the way, I hope the chat room are enjoying my new scene switching where I can get rid of myself altogether so you can just focus in on the person who's talking or or as some people called me on the Joe Saywood comments section of the last podcast I did with him, the Wally asking you questions. So you can get rid of the Wally asking you questions at all times. Uh, I will ask Chris who he thinks missed the apex. Oh no, you missed the apex. Chris Stevens, who missed the apex for you? Uh, well, because everyone's going to say Lewis Hamilton or Renault, um, I am going to say Stoffel Van Dorn. Because on the weekend where he is finally on an engine and aerodynamical par with his teammate, he rather underperformed uh, it's, you know, in qualifying. And it's unfortunate we didn't get to see what he had in the race, but certainly that qualifying deficit was significant. Okay, let's go to Matt Trumpets. Who missed the apex for you, buddy? Well, I was desperately trying to figure out who missed the apex. That wasn't the obvious thing. And then Daniel Drury came to my rescue and said, Renault for becoming the new Honda. He may be biased. Uh, say no more. Nick, who missed the apex for you? Roman, for not only being clearly at fault, but then blaming anybody but himself. The tires. I'm getting very tired of it. Oh, so no one's actually given it to Hamilton yet because that was listed genuinely. I'm not just responding to the chat room criticism of my hamfosiness. Uh, Hamilton was down as my, my mistake Apex award. He had by far the best car driver combination this weekend and he dropped it in qualifying and, and threw it away on a weekend where their stated goals were to drive the screws into Ferrari and show them that they are not going to have a way back in they're not going to get their foot in the door and get a run of dominance before 2018 as he did with Rosberg in 2014 I think it was or 15 sure I think they still delivered that message I think his drive from the back was impressive enough in fact I think Daniel Drury in the chat room earlier said Mercedes congratulations on your 2018 constructors championship it was it was scary you might have missed it while talking, but Peter Godchild in the chat room says uh, the Hamfosi level only goes up to 44. Uh, presumably, we have an award map for... Daddy, I want a pony! I 
couple of pony awards who gets yours oh this is so hard because there wasn't the usual amount of poniness but i think and and i know i I know i'm going to catch grief for it but i think uh max verstappen's uh plaint about his tires might have to win the award for me this week excellent any other ponies chris well, I, I, I've got two things. First of all, I'm surprised you didn't say the moment where Roman Grosjean turned pubescent. Yeah. What for? That message. It's so unfair. You are not my parents. <laughs> I, would, I would like to address this 2018 Constructors Championship notion that Mercedes is just going to run away with it. Because, you know, as we mentioned, you know, the performance of Lewis's engine today was significantly higher than everyone else's. And I think people have looked at today's result and seen what Lewis did and just taken that at, at face value and think that Mercedes have got yeah absolutely everything to gain in 2018. And I, I, I don't think that's true at all. Nick? I haven't actually got any ponies in the chat room. Oh, uh, so when I, I thought you were waving at me, on reflection now, I can see that you were doing an X symbol to say you had nothing to say. All right, you and me... Nothing of value whatsoever. We'll, we'll just work so, on our communication. It's fine. You've, you've been reasonably valuable. Trumpets. Does that mean I can just say something in, in this space now? And, and I know we might have mentioned it, but could we give like a negative pony to the Haas radio communications team for just not bothering to tell Grosjean about his penalty until the last second. So they just didn't have to hear it the whole race. I, I love the, the thought of uh, the little meeting there. I was like, you tell him. Nah, man. Nah, man. You tell him. I, if possible, I'd like to give a negative pony to Brendan Hartley as well. I mean, he has just had no luck reliability wise whatsoever. And it's been nothing but so happy to be here. such a great opportunity. That's all he says. Well, his radio didn't actually work, so that's very much a negative pony award. Well, I tell you what, though, when his radio went out, there was no sense of relief because we kind of like hearing from him. He gives us useful information in a fairly calm way. Like when Hamilton's radio went on the fritz a few races back, everyone kind of went, Whew, okay, good, good. We'll have a nice little break from all that, you know, the stress at times from Hamilton's radio. All right, boys, I think that's about it. Uh, usually, though, the chat room moderator, which we've put you in charge of, uh, Nick, we've made you the chat room moderator. Uh, why don't you tell us who you've given comment of the week to? Comment of the week. Comment of the week goes to Steve Blackout19 with Verstappen Radio. I need to come in for new lap records. I mean, tires, tires. Uh, do you know what? We haven't given him that for a, a long time. We had, in fact, banned him slightly. And what I'm trying to do is get him to run the Missed Apex Twitter account so that he is permanently banned uh, from, from winning the chat room comments. But any other runners up in there for you, Matt? Oh, my goodness. Daniel Drury, I have to say, put in an impressive performance today. And let me find the one in particular. Although uh, Dom Byrne saying Trumpets number equals mega, it stays. Definitely gets... Uh, 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 yeah, it has to be. You never go full grow, John. You never go. There you go. Daniel Jury would be my vote. Absolutely. But we are going to stick with Nick's. So, Steve, Blackout19, you are the winner, I think, for the seventh time of Comment of the Week. Guys, let me assure you that our conversations with Matthew Carter are not done. The man has a lot to say. And he wants to say it with us on Missed Apex Podcast. We will, of course, be catching up with Joe Sayward before 
the last round of Formula One. So again, we're going to have a very action-packed month here on Missed Apex Podcast. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Thank you, chat room. Well moderated, Nick. Not too bad. I would say 7 out of 10 would let you moderate my chat room again. Reasonably valuable. <laughs> Reasonably valuable. As that came out of my mouth, I went, oh my gosh, that is the faintest praise I could possibly have dawned upon you. Uh, what I meant is you fit in like a glove, Nick, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.